Welcome to the Ember Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today as we gather together to wrestle with the ways that these ancient texts collide with our everyday lives as 21st century people. Using art, music, and the world around us as our guide, we hope to breathe new life into these texts and that our conversations spark as much curiosity and creativity for you as they do for us. Hi, I'm Jeremy Grafe, and I'm one of the leaders at Ember Faith Community. Hi, I'm Allison Spooner, and I'm the pastor at Faith Emmanuel and Hope Presbyterian Churches. Hi, I'm Kelsey Wallace, and I'm a PhD candidate at Drew University. For this season of the Ember Podcast, we're talking about the book of Revelation. Whether you're a Christian or not, we hope you'll join us in exploring how the apocalyptic poetry in the book of Revelation challenges power structures, helps us to look at the way we use power, and invites us to resist oppression. This is especially relevant for Christians who are called to witness to God's grace, but we hope the Ember Podcast can help spark meaningful conversations for people who have other beliefs as well. Thanks for tuning in. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind could blow on earth or sea or against any tree. I saw another angel ascending from the rising sun, having the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to damage earth and sea, saying, Do not damage the earth or the sea or the trees until we have marked the servants of our God with a seal upon their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. So this week we're in Revelation chapter 7, and right off the bat, verse 9, with its promise of like salvation to all people, the great multitude, is, I think, really compelling for me, because we're about to get into uh, a lot of sorting and like who's in and who's out and who's being punished and who's being judged. And I think that's kind of a, that's such a powerful image right up front to have as a touchstone that it's, it's open to all in that way. At least that's how I read that. Yeah. I think, I think so often that part of it gets missed uh, when you hear about revelation in popular culture um, there, there's that whole series that's called Left Behind, um, as though there's a portion of the population of the earth that's just not involved in this work. Um, so you get that 144,000 sealed, but that is held right next to this verse that's including everybody, all nations, all languages. Um, so I think it's important not to lose that. I also think I have a tendency to want to read inclusivity (laughs) into these passages. And I actually believe that this is not a place where I'm reading that into it. I am convinced that that is what the text intends to say um, the whole time. And I think it's interesting, too, that even when you're looking at the ceiling, like, this is an act of God. It's not an act of 
of the humans there. It's not saying, oh, look, if you do this thing, you can get yourself sealed, you can get to heaven. Like, I think in pop culture, like you were saying, Spoon, like, that's usually how Revelation is portrayed. It's like, okay, these people did the good things, and they're going to go to the good place, and now, you know, all you, the rest of y'all are kind of screwed. <laughs> I've been reading a little bit of Douglas Otati lately, and he was writing about election and rejected the notion that like double predestination or election was like as simple as all that and his kind of riff on it was we belong to the god of grace which i think really fits with that really well yeah it also fits with the idea that god is in control and is involved in all of these things i mean if if human beings can claim to know so much about what is going to happen we're claiming too much we uh we've overstepped the amount of things we can know um so i think that's important to hold yeah there's definitely a measure of mystery that kind of runs through this whole book um and i think that plays in with the dream logic kind of idea really well like time isn't stable like even verb tenses aren't stable um and I think there's a measure of provision that you see even here, like in the very beginning of this chapter, you have these four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back like this destructive force. And I mean, I think there's a measure of hope in that like stuff's going to go sideways, but there's God and there's like, you know, the heavenly host standing there making a way and making a salvatory salvific act like in the midst of all this chaos the night that we got together to talk about revelation 7 at ember the physical actual worship night one of the things that we noted um, when we were kind of going around the room was this what's going on with this census like it seems like kind of a boring laundry list and as we talked about it this idea kind of came out that it's showing that like these people belong to God and God being in the midst in that way. And it's kind of punctuated with this moment of worship too. Like the angels and the elders and the four living creatures are falling on their face and worshiping God right after this moment where, you know, they're crying out that salvation, the people from all the nations are crying out that salvation belongs to our God. Um, and that's kind of very inherently hopeful. The number of it, too, is really interesting. I mean, you've got 12 tribes of Israel. From every tribe, there are 12,000, which is this ridiculously large number um, to count from each of these tribes of Israel. Um, and together, that 144,000, 12 times 12, is just like a number of completion of like the totality of, uh, of Israel. So, yeah, to me, that also points to that inclusivity um, and that hope, really, for all all of humanity. Even after it numbers Israel, it talks about all the other nations. So, In the very next section. Yeah, immediately after. It definitely kind of rings to what we know about Pentecost, too, in a way. of like That moment of, like, every nation and tongue is kind of represented in this spirit-filled, spirit-descending moment. What do you guys make of him, of the angel asking John, hey, who are all these people? <laughs> um, when he clearly already knows, he answers it. He answers himself. 
I have this image of like the teacher who like really is trying to drive home the po- the point, going, "Okay, now who do we say these people are?" Like just checking, <laughs> like, D- "Did you get it? Like, did you catch it? Like, are you are you with me?" Yeah. Um, and kind of that way that like you wonder if therapy was paying attention and like I, f- I imagine if I was in this moment, I would be so overwhelmed and just be like looking at everything, like, <laughs> "What is happening?" And I, I see this angel being like. Do you, do you got it though because you got to tell people about this <laughs> well even part of that i mean the fact that these are the people that have come through the great ordeal right i mean there's a big deal at the beginning of this chapter that's made about well these people need to be sealed before everything gets unleashed here but there's also this acknowledgement from a few chapters before about the martyrs and like there's going to be more martyrs yet and now we have people going through an ordeal. So we've already talked a little bit in previous episodes about like what's really being asked of believers. And this idea of faithful endurance is kind of coming in again. And I think too this chapter note like ends on that note of provision that like you get this stuff in the middle about there's an ordeal like they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb like that's a really striking image. And yet the last verse lands on God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Like there's this message of don't forget that there's stuff coming, but God has got this and his God's hands are all over this this whole time. Yeah, and I think that, too, it, it it's important to have this bit of provision at this point because we're about to get into some really, really difficult passages with cataclysms and terrors and yeah it it's interesting to me they're talking already about these are these people have been through an ordeal but we know that there are a bunch more ordeals that are coming in the future uh to me that's one of those kind of out of time out of um logical order things that revelation does it's hard to piece together a timeline um which I think helps to resist the urge of trying to see this as a specific plan about what's going to happen in the future. Uh, the whole book resists the ability to fit this into logical framework, uh, which is neat. We've been taking, some of us have been taking a class with Dr. Carey this semester on the parables, and one of the things that he said um, kind of regularly is that the power of analogy and metaphor is that it's both like the thing and yet it is not the thing and I think that's kind of very true in Revelation like we're getting a glimpse of like what God might be up to but it this is this is someone's vision this is someone's dream and it doesn't always make logical kind of concrete sense so it's like the thing but it's not the thing either yeah So this week, we invite you to notice the ways that God might be creating a space of peace for you amidst the chaos of the world. As we work through this text, we want to make sure that we are also in conversation with you, our listeners. So we invite you to reach out to us with questions, comments, and we'll be addressing these as we go on in subsequent podcasts. You can send your questions to emberfaithcommunity.com gmail.com. Hope to hear from you. The Ember Podcast is a production of Ember Faith Community. Your hosts are Jeremy Grafe, Allison Spooner, and Kelsey Wallace. 
Music written and performed by Subaltern Project. All rights reserved, 2017.